On this episode of This Week in Linux, we got some exciting new app releases from, from Cody, Lutris, Firefox, and some video editors called Olive and Lossless Cut. There's a new Kickstarter that might be of interest to any designers out there with Akira. It's plans to be an open source Linux alternative to Sketch, Figma, and Adobe XD. We got some new distro releases from Makulu Linux, Alpine Linux, and Tails. We'll also discuss some potential plans for the Linux Mint distribution and that, that they outlined in their January community report. Later in the show, we'll check out some new hardware announcements from the Raspberry Pi. They announced a new compute module. System76 announced a refresh coming to their Darter Pro laptop. And the Pine64 team announced some new devices coming later this year, including a smartphone, a tablet, and a new enhanced version of their Pinebook. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tonell with Tux Digital. And this is your weekly source for Linux GNU's. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple st storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. Get started on DigitalOcean for two months free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do.co slash tux. You can use that $100 credit to try out a bunch of their small droplets or some beefy droplets. If you want, you can even test to test run with their beefy 16 gig RAM, six virtual CPU droplet that has like t six terabytes of transfer. You can get started with that with the $100 credit by going to do.co slash tux or do.co slash tux. And thanks to, again for DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up first in the show this week, Cody 18 has been released. And it's got a code name of Leia, which is a uh, in honor of Carrie Fisher's uh, Star Wars role. And K Cody 18 comes packed with a, a ton of features. It's been they've been developing this for uh, two years now. You know they have multiple branches that they work at at the same time, but this current version is the latest stable. Um, they've actually had 17 is not that old. Like the latest 17 is not that old. Um, they've been working on 17 point you know continuously, but the main release for the main stable from 17 to 18 has been two years or so. And this includes 10,000 code commits, over 3,000 pull requests, and a half a million lines of code added. So that's just to you know give the scope of how much they've been doing. They've also added a ton of cool features that I want to talk about. So first, let's just talk about a few of them, like Wayland support for Linux. That's really good. Because uh, you know, the more and more projects that support it, the li more likelihood it actually will get adopted. You know, more you know sooner than rather than later. We also got uh, Android TV compatibility. So if you have something like a sh an Nvidia Shield or something like that, it can use Kodi inside of that. It also has improved Blu-ray support, which now has uh, improved 4K, 8K, and HDR experience. It also has support for game gaming emulators so you can have like old time like uh, retro game style with roms and it even supports like built-in control so you can launch these games and these emulators from your Kodi media center so it's kind of like um, a, co a combination of being ju not just a, you know playing movies and music and stuff it can also be a consolidation spot for your entire 
you know, your media center for like whatever you want to do in your living room, for example. Uh, so the, the, that's a really cool feature. Uh, I don't really know exactly how many emulators it supports, but most of the main ones like, uh, you know, like this N64 stuff like that is included in, in the Super Nintendo and stuff. Another one that's interesting that they added is support for DRM decoding or, you know, like using protected streaming services. There's a few add-ons that support DRM decoding, but we don't know, like, I don't know exactly how, like, what their their end game for this is. I assume they're trying to get Netflix support, Hulu support, and, you know, those kinds of services. But we don't have uh, ex- currently where there's not an add-on for Netflix, but hopefully there will be soon because uh, if Netflix now can support Kodi built directly into it, that's great for anybody who wants to use Kodi. Uh, because a lot of times people, if, if I've promoted Kodi to people and then they say and then they find out that you can't use Netflix, then they just they just stop using Kodi because that's like their main source of of media. And uh, so it's great that they are adding it. I know a lot of people are going to be bothered by the fact that they're adding to get DRM support because of the, um, it's kind of like anti, well, not anti, but it's kind of a contradiction to the open source nature of Kodi. But I think this is a good idea because these services are not going to be open source. Though these Those services are going to be DRM. So having the ability to, to decode and support those is good because more people will be introduced to Kodi that way instead of having like a big barrier right there. So I think it's a good idea, and I'm glad to see it in there. They uh, as Another thing I want to talk about is Libra-Elec. So Libra-Elec 9 has been released, and Libra-Elec is an op- a distribution for Kodi. It's a Linux distribution that uses the Kodi... Well, let's, it uses the entire purpose of it is to be a, a distribution you can install on a device like a Raspberry Pi and just have a Kodi box. So Libra-Elec is... The distribution I suggest for anybody who's looking into, you know, wanting who wanting to use Kodi as an appliance structure, because it's the most up to date and the most uh, like quick to get fi- bug fixes and security updates and all that stuff. And for example, uh, Open Elect is a very common uh, common one. Uh, it's been it's been around longer, but LibreElect has uh, a lot of the people who used to work on Open Elect moved to LibreElect. So. It's actually better in many ways, but the biggest point is that LibreLec has, uh, you know, Kodi 18 was released on January 29th. Four days later, LibreLec was released of with 9.0, and OpenElec still hasn't made an update since two, uh, t- uh, 2017 in June. So almost two years, more like a year and eight months or so. In comparison, LibreLec is way better. So if you are interested in trying out Kodi on an appliance structure, I would suggest LibreElect because they're going to actually get the updates much sooner. They also have a lot of extra features that are built into the distro that are specific to LibreElect. So there you go. If you are interested in trying out Kodi 18, you can download it in your repo or download it from, um, you know, just find the dev file. I have a link to all the, the places you can download the, app, the application because you don't necessarily need LibreElect to do an appliance structure. You can just download the, the application and run it on your computer if you want to. Uh, but if you do want to have an application structure, I'll have a link to LibreElect as well in the show notes. Up next in the show, Firefox 65 has been released, and it comes with a whole suite of updates and enhancements. And this one, like, it has a bunch of privacy and security enhancements, bug fixes. It has a new royalty-free compression technology, which is called AV1. 
So that should add an additional you know, competition to the video streaming services. Uh, we're going to talk about that in Destination Linux. Uh, so the next episode of that, we're going to be more in-depth in that particular topic. But uh, for the rest of this topic, we're going to talk about what's coming, on, what's coming out new with Firefox. So the, in, the enhanced tracking protection is a simplified content blocking settings that gives uh, users standard, strict, and custom options so they can control how different services track them. Um, there's also like you can block third-party tracking and uh, that kind of thing, but there's uh, this is pretty cool because they uh, they redesigned content blocking section in the site information panel, and it shows what Firefox detects and blocks on each website website that you visit, so it has automatic certain types of blocking. They've also added better experience for multilingual users, uh, better video streaming experience because it now supports um, that that new technology, the AV1 that we talked about. But yeah, we're t I'll talk about that in Destination Linux more. We'll, we'll talk about that in Destination Linux. So they've also improved the performance and web compatibility with support for WebP image format. WebP brings the same image quality that is available in smaller uh, at smaller file size, sizes, but it saves bandwidth and speeds up page load because it uses it's a smaller file size but still has that quality that you expect from like a bigger image. Uh, depending on what you know format you're talking about, because PNG is like uh, an example of a lot of times PNG is a really high quality image, but at the same time it's, it sacrifices the the file size and has an extensive file size in many cases. They've also added secu enhanced security for uh, Linux, Mac OS thingy, and Android users via stronger stack smashing protection, and that's enabled by default. Uh, stack smashing is a common security attack in which malicious actors corrupt or take control of a vulnerable program. And this is kind of like, this is a way to mitigate some of those types of issues. They've also added easier performance management, and because they revamped the task manager page that you can go to about colon performance to check it out. And it now reports memory usage for tabs and add-ons. So you can see if an add-on or a tab is using too much memory, you can you know disable that and see if you can find a replacement or fix it or you know just kind of just see what you can do about that. Uh, they've also improved the pop-up blocker to prevent multiple pop-up windows from being opened uh, by a website at the same time. Overall, Firefox 65 is mostly just some improvements to compatibility, performance, and some bug fixes and stuff like that. It's not like a huge uh, feature uh, release, but it's always nice to see you know polishing of an application being done. There is something to note is that if you are using Firefox on Windows, they've actually stopped making it available for now because Windows has some kind of issue with certificates being um, inaccurately detected by antiviruses on Windows and therefore breaking Firefox in some way. I don't know. So it works on Linux perfectly fine. You can still download on Linux if you want to. So there you go. So maybe there's a reason for Windows users to stop using Windows because, you know, yet another reason, I guess. Just They just keep piling up. Uh, before we get go to the move, move on to the next topic, I wanted to first also discuss Firefox 66, which is coming out, uh, you know, the next release. They said that they announced they're going to be using the client-side decorations, or CSDs, by default on Linux. So it looks much nicer, and it has a cleaner design. The title bar, uh, close, minimize, maximize, is going to be built into the bookmarks bar instead, so it's going to be a lot cleaner, and you're going to get uh, more real estate, screen real estate, by while using Firefox, which that's nice. I actually, because of using Plasma, I already disabled the title bar because that's a feature you can do in a couple DEs like Plasma, XFCE. I think Mate can do it too. Um, 
but it's a nice way of getting real estate, screen real estate. So I think this would be a good addition for Firefox to do. I'm not really big, a big fan of CSDs in general, but in the way that Firefox is doing it, I think it's a good idea. So uh, looking forward to that. If you want to find out more about Firefox 65, I'll have a link to the uh, release notes in the show notes. Akira is an interesting project that is currently on Kickstarter. If you want to check out the campaign, I'll have a link in the show notes. But what Akira is, is it's a prototype design tool, or will be. It will be. They have a like an alpha uh, demo version, but it's not really ready to go yet. But Akira is going to be a replacement, well, an Linux alternative replacement to Sketch, Figma, or Adobe XD. They say the main purpose of Akira is to offer a fast and intuitive tool to create web and mobile interfaces. Uh, so it's kind of like a prototyping tool, prototyping design tool. A, a team, The team behind it is trying to make it, they get this campaign funded so that they can spend, like, like work full-time on Akira so they can get it out within the next few months or so. They do plan on getting it out eventually anyway, but if they were to able if they were able to raise enough money to uh, build Akira, they could do it very quickly with uh, hiring people full-time to work on it. So they have a $48,000 goal. Uh, they're currently at almost 10000 I think. They're like like over 9000 I think it's the $48,000 goal is actually not that bad because of like the fact that they're working on uh, full-time. Uh, that the goal is to work on it full time, um, so they would be they'd pay pay for rent and uh, stuff like that, and they also listed all the things that they would need to pay for. So they're very transparent, and open about what why they want they why they need that amount of money. They're not trying to make a ton of money off of this. This is just, just like what this would allow them to do. But anyway, Akira is a really cool concept, and the way that they've described it is something that I am very very much interested in. Uh, as a designer, so I, I want to see that. Uh, but anyway, it's it's going to be fully written uh, natively in Vala. It's going to have you know light and dark modes and adaptable interfaces, so that's fun. Um, it's going to be based on vect- uh, vector SVG graphics. So SVG is scalable vector graphics, which is redundant for me to say SVG vector graphics. Anyway, what's really cool about it is that it's going to be uh, have all the features that you would need in a prototyping tool. And be able to do these things really quickly, like a rotatable canvas. Um, have like the shapes would be built into it, like like simple shapes that you could easily manipulate. Whereas if you were to do it in another application like Inkscape, which Inkscape is fantastic, but this would be able to allow you to do the same kind of thing that you could do in Inkscape, but much quicker and much more concise. So I really like that idea. They also have the. They're going to be working on having an intuitive later system, and most importantly, the absolute most important feature, non-destructive editing. Now this is very important for any kind of design tool, especially anything that's trying to be a professional design tool. Is non-destructive editing means that when you make a change to something, it doesn't destroy any data previously in order to do it. It adds an extra section on top to manipulate what is currently there. So if you ever want to move it around or disable that part or add anything in beneath, in between those two layer elements, you could do so non-destructively. So very important and really happy to see that they're working on making that. That's pre- pretty much because they're using vector. That's how they're able to do it. But I'm glad that they're focusing on having that as one of their main features. I look forward to seeing what uh, what comes out of this. I hope they do get funded. And if you are interested in trying it and funding them, funding out, uh, funding the campaign then I'll have a link in the show notes 
for Akira, the vector design uh, prototyping design tool. Yeah. Lutris 0.5.0 has been released. And Lutris, if you've not heard of it, it's an open source platform for gaming. It is kind of like Steam, but not exactly. It allows you to install applications in an easier way through this runner system. So when you install a game through Lutris, it has a structure built in, so it'll like kind of help you go through the process of installing a game. And it also keeps track of other, you know, the, 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 like a library manager of games, so you can just open Lutris and launch a game from there. But what's cool is that it, they have a structure where it supports games on a variety of different things, including Wine. So, so you can install a game. It will use the runner. It will automatically load up Wine for you and install it with it via Wine. Then it will uh, have options to do uh, even emulators. So if you have a game that you want to play that's a game from like you know the Nintendo 64, you can install that game through this runner, and it will set up like Moopin 64 and uh, set the like the configurations for you so that the game work via Lutris. So the process of having to set up your games that are not necessarily like available through Steam or something like that that's you know more easily done, Lutris makes it much easier to do those types of things. So it's very cool. So this release is also the first release that supports uh, GOG or GOG or good old games. That's, you know, same thing, but that's pretty what it means. Anyway, they also released a new UI where they've modernized the UI. It's a, it looks much nicer and it's a lot, lot lower, lot more cleaner experience. They've also added some more game import options. So you can do more game with third-party support, including like GOG and some local games. But it also supports now with doing third-party platforms like Steam. So you can install a, a game, a Steam game in Lutris, and it will still launch it via Steam. It's really cool concepts. So you can have everything inside of Lutris. They've also re-architectured the process monitor, and this fixes issues with games exiting prematurely. They've also added in multiple games can now be launched at the same time without losing control over the first game. Uh, game information and actions are now displayed in the panel on the right side so while you're looking through the library. And they've also set it up that you can search uh, and install the client itself from Lutris.net. Uh, so you, I'm sorry, I said that weird. What I was trying to say is that via Lutris.net, you can search and install games to, to, uh, via the client. So you're searching the, the database on Lutris.net, but you're using the client itself to do so. So you can find the game via the client and then go ahead and start trying to install it from there rather than going to the website and then launching Lutris from there with an install button. So this is really cool. If you haven't tried out Lutris, it's definitely worth it, especially if you want to play some games that are not typically uh, accessible on Linux, like The Witcher 3 and Overwatch and stuff like that. So if you do want to play those, Lutris is a, something you should definitely check out, and I'll have a link to Lutris 0.5.0 in the show notes. Up next in the show is the Olive Open Source Video Editor. Uh, Olive is a new video editor that is currently still in alpha stage, so it's not really it's not complete. It's it's very incomplete and it's also not fully stable. They don't make they make specifically point out that it is in that situation, uh, but it's brand new and it has a lot of interesting concepts and features that I am looking forward to using. I haven't actually had a chance to try it out, but I'm going to let you know that I'm going to edit this episode of This Week in Linux with Olive and to see, you know, how it, how it works. Even though it's still an alpha, an alpha I'm still going to try it out because I'm curious. Uh, so anyway, Olive is a free 
nonlinear video editor. Uh, nonlinear is the type of editor that it is, uh, which is most almost all video editors are that. Are that. And it is uh, aiming to provide a fully featured alternative to high-end professional video editing software. So it's trying to be, in the long run, its goal is to be a alternative to Final Cut or Premiere Pro from Adobe. Now that's a very high goal. Like that's a big task to take. So I'm very interested to see what they're going to do with this. Uh, they've already got a ton of cool features, so that part's impressive. Uh, it's they're going for the the pro user, which is you know, like there's a lot of basic editors. There's even some editors like Caden Live that are you know in the mid tier where they're very powerful and they're very good, but they're not technically like pro level because they can't do certain things. Um, so it's interesting to see that they're going for that audience. Um, and I would absolutely love to have a pro-level editor that's especially open source. Now, we do have Lightworks and uh, DaVinci Resolve, sort of. DaVinci Resolve like works on like two distributions, period. Um, but Lightworks is a, a great uh, editor as well, but at the same time is missing some aspects of pro development or pro editing. So I am curious to see what can happen with this video editor called Olive. So let's talk about some features it has. It already has magnetic snapping, cutting, positioning, scaling. So you can do like picture in picture. It also has a uh, video and audio effects. So like, you know, add extra special effects on top of the existing clips. It also even has an auto saving feature and a crash recovery feature. So, I mean, those kind of need a little bit of work, but the fact that they even have it in an alpha stage is very impressive. So far, though, they don't have uh, proxies, so they don't have the proxy clips, which kind of is a, an issue or a benefit for uh, faster performance. But but even though they don't have that, they do have hardware acceleration for a lot of things, including hardware acceleration for the uh, preview window as well as the uh, timeline. So that it's it they kind of are compensating for not having proxies. Uh, but you know, in the future, they said in the future that they will be getting uh, proxy support at some point. But they're currently in the develop the, the the process of designing that support right now. Really interesting. Uh, they also have um, the, a goal to make it where uh, they they the current issue right now. Okay, is the biggest issue so far, uh, other than the uh, alpha stage of stability is that there's thumbnails on the video clips don't really work, so you have to make sure that you name the clips uh, something that you can recognize quickly so you don't have to like use the visuals as a reference uh, because the thumbnails aren't working right now. But they have said that they will be working on that in the future, but it isn't available yet. So uh, it might be a little clunky if you do try it, just have that in mind. But overall, so far, uh, the based on the feature list, Olive looks like a very compelling editor. And it's still in the alpha stage while still having all these features. Like, that's pretty impressive. I'm looking forward to trying it out. And uh, like I said, this, this episode will be released tomorrow or, you know, Sunday. We record live on Saturdays, but I'll, I'll be posting it on Sunday. And I'll be using the uh, Olive Editor to do so. And if you are interested, uh, we're going to have the next episode of Destination Linux. We're also going to talk about Olive in that episode. And I will report back the experience that I had with Olive in that in that episode as well as the next version episode of this particular podcast but if you want to get the you know the conversation about Olive and get it as quick uh, the quickest possible for the uh, results I suppose then uh, check out Destination Linux next episode um, coming out 
this Wednesday. So, yeah. Up next in the show is Lossless Cut. Lossless Cut is a lossless video cutter, which the name makes sense to be. It is a uh, simple and pretty fast cross-platform tool for trimming and cutting video and audio files even. Um, it's also got add some new features that are really interesting because one of the few things that bothered me about Lossless Cut is that it didn't have the ability to do multiple cuts at a time and then to try to take the pieces and merge them together. But they have recently added that feature. So you can now do multiple cut points in the same video. You can also do video merging. So you can take these different pieces of a single video, uh, trim out the stuff that you don't want, merge it back together, and then you're, and you know create a new uh, MP, or a new video file from that. Now, you could just say that's uh, any video editor could do that, right? But the reason why lossless cut is great is because it doesn't re-encode anything. It doesn't have to re-encode because it's just taking the existing data and then combining the pieces together in a different order than they previously were, which allows you to have the benefit of being able to trim out stuff that you don't want, but at the same time not having to re-encode. So the process would take a ridiculously short amount of time. So, for example, if you were to take a video, put it in losses cut, trim out the front part and the end part of it, and then just output that, it would take maybe maybe 20 seconds or something because it's not actually encoding anything. It might even be less than that. I've had a couple times where it was like, depending on how, how big the file was, I had it done in like 10 seconds once. So, and these are like huge two, three gig files, and it's still, because it's not encoding anything, it's just taking the data and, and duplicating it into a different file with some modifications. It's really fast, it's very nice to use, and having the ability to do multiple cuts and the merging feature, I haven't tried this yet, but I am looking forward to very much for it, because those are the things that I did notice that it didn't have, and I'm happy to see it now. If you are interested, you can have a. I'll have a link to the lossless vid cut video editor, or video cutter technically, because it's not necessarily that kind of editor. Uh, but I, anyway, I have a link to the show notes for lossless cut latest version. And um, let me know what you think in the comments below or in the live chat if you've tried it out or you have another alternative. Or for example, like Avidimux. I have no idea if I said that right. I like. I'm gonna go with Avidimux. It's fun to say. So hopefully that's right. If you've ever used that, if you've used both and you'd like to compare them, let me know in the comments below. I would love to know your, your opinion on that. So, yeah, lossless cut, link in the show notes. Up next in the show is Linux Mint has uh, issued their monthly report for January. And in that report, they also included their plans for 2019 or their goals in general for 2019. And they have, they've actually set up something that's really, really interesting. But before we get to that, They've also said they're going to be improving their artwork and they'll be looking at increasing the contrast and changing the default font and just overhauling like the boot splash uh, boot splash screens. Another thing is that they're going to be improving some performance as well as they're going to be like continued on working like the optimizing of input lag from, you know, like devices, uh, peripherals. Um, and they're also going to be doing some improvements of overhauling their doc info and AppSys components. But by far... The most interesting thing that they're talking about doing is splitting cinnamon into multiple processes. And this is a like a pretty big thing to do, a big challenge, because essentially uh, GNOME is a single process DE, and cinnamon is a fork of GNOME. So all of cinnamon is also a single process because it inherited that structure. So they are 
looking into repla- changing that so no longer using a single process, which is good because if it crashes on Wayland, for example, it's just done. You can't you can't recover from it. You have to reboot or drop to TTY and fix it. But they are hoping to have a successful a successful prototype uh, where they've implemented the cinnamon applets for at like at least the applets would be in their own processes. So like the uh, the custom the add-ons and extensions you can do for cinnamon, they want to have those in their own process at the minimum. But they're also trying to work on making uh, like trying to see if it's possible to do the entire cinnamon DE in multiple processes. They uh, Clem in the in the the uh, monthly report said that the current developer is studying the possibility of having applets run in their own process and running objects remotely. And they're also he's also saying this is very ambitious and pretty much like R and D at this point. They're not really they're not saying that they're going to do this. This is something that they're hoping to do. And they say we're hoping to he'll succeed with a prototype. Failing that, there's also the idea of keeping the rendering of the applet content in Cinema itself. So, like I said earlier, if they don't get it done, prototype, they could still have the applet set up separately, which would be at least something to improve the performance and the reliability of the system. I am very interested in this because this has a lot of um, this has a lot of potential for Cinnamon to be a, a you know it's kind of it's not the heaviest DE, but it's also not the lightest DE, and this would make because of having multiple processes, they could actually optimize them better, so they could improve it in that 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 method there. So I think this is a good idea for them to do. And they also mentioned that they're working on a new tool called the Cinnamon Stat uh, Stat Tracker, which is um, it's a it's a tool to measure loading times and idle times for like or not idle times idle resource usage for CPU, RAM, uh, GPU, and other things, so that they can make an attempt to improve the results that Linux Mint has for like being snappier and losing using less resources than they currently do. So this is really good because it's showing that they're working on a lot of performance improvements. Or their goal is to have a lot of performance improvements for 2019. And uh, it's not the heaviest, but it also could definitely use some work there as far as improving its performance. So that's a, I'm, gr- I'm glad to hear that. And I, you know, best of luck to the Linux Mint team. Uh, hope it works out. And I hope the process, the multiple process structure uh, is possible for you. And uh, look forward to trying it out when it does happen. So... If you want to read the blog post from the Linux Mint team, I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Up next in the show is Makulu Linux. Makulu Linux, we talked about in episode 39 of This Week in Linux. Uh, we talked about the, the first announcement of their new branch of different... Uh, they're having three different branches of their distro. And Core is one of those versions. And that's one of the, like, the latest branch that they released. It is a heavily customized... Uh, very unique style of using the desktop operating system. So it's a Makulu Linux is a Debian-based distribution. It ships with a bunch of applications and media codecs installed out of the box. And but the the most important thing, as you can see in the video uh, view report, if you're watching the video, you can see a demo a demonstration of their layout, um, which is using a very custom. Uh, dual dock menu. They're using a bunch of uh, mouse gestures, like heavily uh, using mouse gestures. Like they're even saying, like they're 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 making allow allowing the users to use their computer almost entirely without the need of a keyboard. So with all these gestures, 
and the uh, hot corners for the different menus and the docks that you might not even need your keyboard for most things. So it's an interesting approach, and um, I'm curious about giving it a try. I haven't tried it myself yet, yet but I, I am some, it is something that it seems definitely worth trying at least a little bit. So this version of Makulu is version or series 15 with a Debian base. It has rolling release support, so it's not like Debian stable, but it has like some extra stuff like Debian testing packages. Core is their DE. I think it's the name of their DE, but it's definitely like the branch of the section of the distro. And it is a fork from XFCE. So it's a heavily modified XFCE structure with some like the, uh, I, f I don't remember what the name of the application is, but that, that Pi menu system where you click one and then like it moves and shows more of sort of like a circular Pi menu. I know that that's made by a separate project, but I don't remember what it's called. I might have a link to that in the show notes if I can remember what it's called. But they also have a hot corner support, dual menu system, and they have, a, as I said, a heavily based uh, driven um, gesture system. So from the latest blog post for the, about the core distro branch, they, the quote from the developer says, uh, the optional gesture system will let users navigate their computers with barely any, uh, barely even having to touch a keyboard if that's their wish. The more traditional users don't have to enable gestures. They can simply use the operating system in much the same way as a normal, like navigating a normal Linux distribution. Core also offers many instant access features like a one-click wallpaper changer and a one-click 3D option, which, and you can easily control every aspect of your OS with simple few clicks. That's an interesting thing, and I, I do I think it's like at least worth trying it out because I want to experience how they do it or how this is laid out. Uh, but uh, thanks to the live chat, I did find out what the name of the uh, application is that the menu that they're using is called Gnome Pi. So, so if you're interested in checking out Makulu Linux, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release of 3.9 of Alpine Linux. Alpine Linux is a security-oriented, lightweight Linux distribution based on Muzzle, LibC, and BusyBox. It's designed, based on their website, they describe it as being designed for power users who appreciate security, simplicity, and resource efficiency. The improvement here to the latest uh, version is that they're, they're focusing on improving their container of support. So they, they, and they also have now new features including such as uh, support for ARM v7 architecture. They've moved from Libra SSL back to OpenSSL. They've enabled ModLoop, which allows you to have um, better support by default with SquashFS file systems. So if you mount a SquashFS system, it will work. Um, it'll work better and it'll be more seamless to function with this new ModLoop uh, factor uh, enabled. They've also made better integration with the bootloader for Grub, and they've updated the Linux kernel to 4.19. And they've updated GCC to 8.2, BusyBox to 1.29, and MuscleLibC to 1.1.20. Alpine is a very lean distribution that is very interesting. So uh, if you are interested in trying it out, I said interesting like three times. Anyway, I have a link to Alpine Linux 3.9 in the show notes. Up next in the show is Tails 3.12. The latest version of Tails, the amnesic incognito live system aimed at privacy and anonymity it's uh this latest version has a pretty big change uh, there's there's a lot of small changes that are just uh, improving the overall performance and improving some like bug bug fixes and maintenance and, the, and that kind of thing but the biggest thing that they've added instead of offering just iso images you can now download uh, tails as a usb image 
making it a lot easier to install Tails to a USB. You can still get the ISO image if you want to have it for a DVD. Um, you know, you want to do it that way. But if you want to use a USB like flash drive, thumb drive, this new USB image is a lot easier to do. You could use Etcher to burn it to a USB. Well, burn it to a USB drive, and is a lot simpler. Uh, for like, you no longer have to do uh, like having two different sticks and then having an intermediary tails, so that you could have like uh, you had to have the tails installer that would then take the information from one drive to another. It was just like it was kind of a mess. So they not really a mess, but it was a lot to do. And now they've made it much easier to just take the USB image and then put it on the USB drive, and you're good to go. So that's very cool. Um, if it's if you haven't heard of Tails before, it's re it's a very security privacy focused distribution, and one of the best things about it is the amnesic part of it, and that is because when you reboot the system, you you turn the computer you turn the computer off and turn it back on, basically everything you did has been removed and it's been re refreshed to a previous state, so it doesn't it doesn't it purposefully is amnesic so it doesn't remember the things that you do on the computer. So it's very good for privacy and security. So if you're going to like a um, coffee shop or something like that, you don't have to worry about anybody like on the network tracking, like keeping track of what you're doing and, you know, and repeated issue issues. You still would want to use like a VPN or something like that to have some extra security when you're if you go to a coffee shop. But this is just kind of like an example of what Tails could be used for. It's a, it's a very, really cool idea for a distro and I'm, Happy to see it's getting make, making it easier to use. So if you are interested in using it, I'll have a link to the Tails 3.12 page in the show notes. Up next is the first hardware news for the show, and that is Raspberry Pi's new Compute Module 3 Plus. The Raspberry Pi is a favorite of mine. It's, an, it's a really cool device that it's supported in so many ways, and it's got so much benefit to it. Um, but there is another thing that's really cool, and this is the compute module that you can put into other boards. And the compute module that this latest version, the module 3 plus, is 10 times faster, but it stays the same price as the previous model. So it starts at $25. And the latest version also comes with a much more powerful CPU, or the system on a chip actually. It's the Broadcom BCM2837B0 rolls right off the tongue and Cortex A54 64-bit system on a chip running at 1.2 gigahertz. Now as you can see in the video this is a very small uh, module that's basically the size of a RAM stick or even slightly smaller and uh, speaking of RAM the Compute Module 3 Plus also has 1 gig of LPDDR2 SD RAM and it even has the ability to have storage on it if you were to get the bigger versions. So the $25 one is the light model, and it doesn't have the storage structure. But if you have the, the you can also get the, C, the CM3 Plus with 8 gigs, 16 gigs, and 32 gigs of storage. Prices range from $5 a p per you know increment up. So the 8 gig is 30, 16 for 35, and 32 for 40. So this is pretty cool. And uh, I actually had a prediction that in the in one of the uh, previous episode of Destination Linux, where I talked about how I think the Raspberry Pi are going to be releasing multiple new models uh, for different devices or different more you know boards. Uh, one of them I was going to say that the Raspberry Pi Four will be coming out this year, 
and that another device will be coming out. So right now I'm 50-50 or 50% done with that prediction. So yeah, hopefully they continue to release four because one, I want it. And two, I, you know, it'd be nice to be, have at least one prediction ready to get that actually was came to true. So anyway, if you want to check out the blog post from the Raspberry Pi Foundation, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in hardware, System76 announced they're going to have a refresh for their Darter Pro laptop. The Darter Pro is a very nice, slick-looking slick laptop. It would come with a Pop! OS 1804, and uh, one of the things that they're talking about, this, this particular refresh is going to improve the battery life uh, extensively. So, like, if you watch the video version, I really like the animation they did with, like, the battery of the coffee or the progress of the coffee goes much faster than the the, the laptop. Um, I think that's a that's a fun visual. But anyway, they this laptop comes with an eighth gen Intel Core i5 8265U or an i7 8565U, and it also has a 5.16 inch screen with a 1080p IPS matte screen, and it has the Intel the onboard graphics, the UHD uh, graphics 620. And has up to support for 32 gigs of dual-channel DDR4 RAM. And it also has support for M.2 SATA or an MVME SSD. So this is a really nice-looking uh, laptop. It even comes with like USB 3.0, 3.1 Type-C with Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt support. The fact that it has, you know, the Type-C is great, but having the support with Thunderbolt uh, built into the technology of the Type-C is really good because you can do daisy chaining and structures. Uh, you can actually have like multiple monitors connected to that individual port. So you could have like two extra additional monitors and on in addition to your laptop in theory, using the daisy chaining of Thunderbolt and have it all connected. I don't know if this actually works for this one because this, you know, this, this laptop's not out yet. And I've also never tried it on this laptop or anything. Uh, but theoretically Thunderbolt would allow that to happen. So that is potentially very cool. Uh, they also have a multicolor backlit chiclet keyboard, which is nice, you know, nice touch. And they have a um, mini display port uh, ability as well as HDMI. So this is like, this looks like a really slick, clean laptop. Uh, I personally never tried the the original Darter, uh, Darter Pro, but uh, I do think that it's, uh, it, it looks like a very clean laptop. We have a link to the uh, Darter, pa Darter Pro page on system76.com in the show notes. Up next in the show, we have three new th new items or pieces of hardware. Actually, there's multiple, more than three, that Pine64 has announced uh, for pre uh, before FOSTEM. I'll have a link to the forum page, but this this has the next three topics are all Pine64 related, but it's the same link um, as they all have the same link. There, there's actually going to be a couple things that I'm not going to talk about specifically because they have the camera cube. That's pretty cool, but, um, you know, it's just it's it's very much a work in progress, but I wanted to talk about the uh, Pine Phone, the Linux smartphone, because they announced that they're they're having plans to release the Linux smartphone, the Pine Phone, this year, and that it would be one hundred and forty nine dollars. So a really reasonably priced phone that runs Linux as a native uh, dis, uh, you know operating system. So it's 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 a, it's very curious if they can actually make this happen because if you look at the side on the left side this is the developer kit for the Pine Phone and on the right side is the case the end prototype case that it's going to look like when it's done. So I don't know how they're going to, you know, get to that stage so quickly but hopefully they can because that would be 
fantastic. Uh, a $140 smartphone would be amazing, honestly, especially if it's like decent powers based on what the uh, hardware that they're, the specs that they're offering is impressive to say the least. So first of all, we'll talk about the charging port and the data port will be a USB type C. So it's very modern uh, approach. They have HD, they're going to have HDMI support. So you can have HDMI out. It's going to have support for 4.0 Bluetooth. It'll have uh, the Wi-Fi will be 802.11n. They'll have support for LTE modem. Uh, they'll also have uh, hardware switches. Very cool. So you can have hardware switches that are able to disable the Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, uh, the LTE, the camera, and the speakers. Um, so you can just you can guarantee that these phone like it's kind of like the same thing that Librem the Librem Five is going to be doing, having a hardware switch. So they're saying that the Pine phone will also have the hardware switch or hardware switches. So it's going to have an eMMC socket for the storage. They're going to have MSD, uh, micro SD, uh, SD card slot, and it's going to have an actual audio jack. I know, right? An audio jack. And it's going to have a 1440 by 720p or 1440 by 720 IPS panel display for the phone which is a pretty good quality uh, you know, panel for such a small price. And two gigs of RAM, of SD or SPDDR3 RAM. Like, the specs of this phone sound great. Like, they, they're actually pretty good, and their price is only... And they're going for, like, 150 price. So uh, that sounds really good, and I, I don't know how they're going to do it, but if they do, fantastic. I'll probably get one. Just because you know it's it's at a price point where it's not a big deal if you know it's not like a waste of money because it's definitely worth trying and I'm I would if they do get this out and they do have the price that this I will definitely make a video on this because it sounds awesome anyway if you are interested in checking out I have a link to the forum post that have all of these different products in the show notes but let's move on to the next one the next Pine sixty four product that they announced is a new tablet. And this tablet would be also a very reasonable price at $79. And this is an interesting thing because they also have a key... In the, in the photo that they're showing what it looks like, it has a magnetic keyboard that it's attachable. So you could use it as a laptop, sort of, but mainly it's a, it'd be used for a touchscreen with a, you know, a tablet. So it's cool that they have an additional like magnetic keyboard for it. So if people who do want that extra feature, it'd be nice. So... This one is a 10.1 inch HD LCD display, which kind of makes sense. It wouldn't be it'd be an LCD and not like uh, you know a super high end mon- uh, display for the tablet because it's pretty cheap, uh, pretty cheap tablet anyway, or as far as price goes. But it does have a lot of cool features. So for example, it has or the specs anyways, it has two gigs of SSP DDR3 RAM. It has Wi-Fi 802.11 in Bluetooth 4.0. It's got a front-facing and rear camera. Uh, the cameras are not the highest quality, but it's a tablet, so you might really wouldn't expect that anyway. Um, but it also has a USB 2.0A port and a micro USB 2.0 OTG port or on-the-go port. That's really interesting. So in theory, because it has a, a, a USB 2.0A host port, it would be able to, in theory, you could plug in a USB drive and have files, videos, and stuff stored on that drive and just plug it directly into the tablet instead of having an adapter or whatever. And it also has a micro SD card slot. So very cool. 
um, I think it looks pretty good. I, uh, I mean, I, I as far as like the price wise, it looks uh, like a really good product, and the price specs are really like it's another one of those things that how do they do that? You know, hopefully it does come to fruition, and I look forward to trying out if it does because the price is also again totally reasonable. Uh, they they haven't given any information about what operating system is going to be used on these tablets, but it will it is Linux based, so we do know that, and that's great. So if you are interested, uh, again the forum the post that has these this, these products in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the Pinebook Pro new uh, new Linux laptop from the Pine sixty four people. Again, another Pine one. They're making some really cool things, and. I am excited for this. I'm, I'm excited for the other ones too because I hope they can make those. But I know that they can make the Pine Book. The Pine Book itself is like this. I actually have one right here. The uh, well, actually, you know, Pine 64. And the Pine Book is a very nice laptop. I mean, it's an ultrabook design. It has uh, a decent keyboard for the most part. The mouse pad, the mouse pad is really good. The touchpad, it's pretty big and it's nice and like very convenient as far as like how they laid out the keyboard and everything. The 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 screen is a very high, like nice 1080p screen. Like the webcam is at the top of the monitor, so that's good. Um, but unfortunately, it's slightly underpowered. And as far as like, it's not really powerful, but at the same time, the keyboard is, um, it has, it's, it's kind of finicky. So at the same time, I'm really impressed by this thing, but also kind of disappointed because it's just a little bit more money. They can make a so much better laptop that it could be like a game changer. It could be like a Chromebook killer, for example. And that's kind of what this Prime Book Pro is or what the specs imply that it could be. So... I am so excited that this exists, or this is going to exist, and I can't wait to try it out. It's also a reasonable price at $199. So a little bit, like this one by itself, uh, the the regular Pine Book is uh, $99. But it has, you know, some issues, like I said. And I was thinking, and I was thinking every time I talked about it, I would always mention that if it was just a little bit more expensive and had a little bit better hardware, it would be so much better. And that's kind of what this is. So I... I'm totally excited to see, you know, to have this. I want to try this out is what I'm saying. So for as far as the specs go, again, with the price, crazy specs, 14-inch 1080p IPS panel, 64 gigs of eMMC storage. Like what's really cool is that if you are a member of their forum, like if you're a registered member of the forum, they'll give you an automatic upgrade to 128 gigs of storage just because. Okay, cool. Uh, They have a 10,000 milliamp battery for this thing. It has, I think the... Pinebook also has that same size battery. What's really the only thing, one of the things I don't like about, like I mentioned earlier, is like the specs, but I don't like the white design of this laptop. It it, it feels too, like, kind of want to be Mac-ish. Um, but they're doing a nice uh, black uh, magnesium alloy style body for the new uh, Pinebook Pro, which looks really nice. So that's cool. It has an SD card slot for additional storage. It also has an NVMe slot, but that you'd have to put you'd have to provide your own NVMe drive yourself because it doesn't come with one. But another one is that it had another cool thing about it is like just like the phone, it has USB Type C, so you can use digital video output through the USB Type C. In theory, you could have like a monitor, another extra monitor attached to it. 
It also has uh, other ports for USB 3.0, USB 2.0, um, uh, Bluetooth 4.2, and I'm pretty sure the original Pinebook had 2 gigs of RAM. This one has 4 gigs of RAM, so I am really excited that this is going to be a thing. Because it, it's it's basically all the things that I'm, I'm slightly bothered by this laptop, the Pinebook Pro seems to have covered. Now, they did say that they are going to have some multiple different uh, operating systems be supported for the Pinebook. They haven't mentioned like what specifically they will be. But based on the support for um, this one, I know... KDE Neon is supported on the Pine on this Pinebook, so it probably would be on that one too, as well as some other ones like I think Ubuntu Mate is also supported, but I'm not totally sure about that one. Um, but this is really cool, and I look forward to trying it out. Uh, in their their blog post, we've heard you. Many of you want a high performance 64-bit ARM laptop that is strictly designed with FOSS in mind and can be used day to day as a day to day Linux laptop with premium materials, great manufacturer quality, and performance. And we're making it happen. Based on the specs. It, it totally looks like it could happen. And the wait's not that long either. They said that they're going to start shipping in like middle of March. So just a month or a month and a half or so. And they'll be able to ship new Pine Pro. So I'm excited. Are you excited? Let me know in the comments below. And uh, if you were going to get one, um, let me know. And if you do get one, let me know what you expect your experience is in, in the future. I do plan to get one. And I will be trying it out and on a video, maybe on a stream as well. We'll see. I'm excited. I hope it's like meet the meet my hopes and expectations because I, I totally want it to. Because if it, if it does, it would be a Chromebook killer. And uh, yeah, so I'll have a link to the forum post, like I said, from the previous items as well as this one in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you'd like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. If you'd like to submit some good news to the show, you can visit the subreddit by going to thisweekinlinux.reddit.com. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. Just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.